Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. Living. I think this could be the last one. Is that right, Greg? Red letters. Often, I thought last week, I thought, gee, if someone came into the church and we just said red letter living, they might not even have a clue what that means. But in a lot of Bibles, the words of Jesus is written in red. It's not in mine. Hands up if you've got a Bible where Jesus' words are in red. Yep, there's a few of you. So there you go. That's why it's called red letter living. We've been looking at what Jesus is actually saying to us. And I've picked a passage here that um, some of it you might know and some you might not. Matthew 6. So if you've got a Bible, iPad, iPhone, whatever mechanism you use, we're going to be reading a big passage of Scripture today. And um, in the middle of it is a very familiar prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Um, And we're going to have a little look at that. So Basically, what I'm doing is just going to be reading the scripture and just looking at maybe little bits and pieces of that. So just let me pray before we start. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who gives us such beautiful words to live by. And we just want to learn and lean in and become a little bit more like him each and every day of our lives. So as we unfold your word this morning... I pray, God, that we can just get um, a heart for what you are saying in this passage and that we would go out of this place challenged and a little bit different and a little bit more like you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew is the famous Sermon on the Mount. I could just camp there every year. And never leave those scriptures. I love them. You've got the Beatitudes, you've got salt and light, you've got all those beautiful scriptures. But in chapter 6, Jesus gives us three directives or disciplines. And he says this, he says, Not if, but when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. So I've called this message, Give, Pray, Fast. And I like that because... Reminds me a little bit of that book by Elizabeth Gilbert, the movie. It was Eat, Pray and Love. And it was a woman's journey. She was a little bit lost in life and she went all around the world looking for meaning for life. And I thought, we are seeking our meaning in Jesus and we're all on a journey. So that's what I've called it today. So we're looking at the, um, Jesus pulls his disciples aside, he takes them up on the mountain And he kind of just talks to them. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. He's just talking to them as he would be to his friends. Sometimes as Christians, I think sometimes we can get a little bit smug, a little bit proud, and kind of sometimes it can be a little bit about us, how much we give, how much we worship, how much we we serve in church. And I think Jesus is challenging our attitude in some of this. We want to be recognized and appreciated sometimes with a heart maybe to impress people a little bit too much. But here in this passage we're going to have a look at, Jesus is concerned about our heart motivation rather than our outward expression of what we do. So we need to do the right thing in the right way. So let's have a look. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, 
you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? When you give, do it in secret. Don't make a fuss about it. It's not about you and how impressive you might look to others by throwing your money around. And I know this is not true of this church at all. I'm not saying that for one moment. This church is the most giving, beautiful, servant-hearted church I think I've ever been part of. But I just think sometimes we just need a reminder about why we do what we do. Um, God sees your generous heart. And I'm sure it pleases him and it makes him smile when we give. And that is your reward. It's not about others looking at you and going, you're awesome, you're fantastic, look how much money you give. That's not it, not at all. And I was looking at this and I thought, we need to be looking for opportunities to give to needy people. But a needy person might not always be the one that you think. People have all kinds of needs which you can help meet, whether it's financial whether it's meeting physical needs, whether it's practical, emotional or spiritual. Giving someone your time and a listening ear can be a very precious gift to somebody in this day and age. So it's not about just money, okay? When we give, we reflect God's heart. I just even take nothing away today. When you give, oh, there's three little points I want to make. We reflect God's heart and it should be natural for us as Christians to do that. Last week, Greg spoke so well about being light and shining our light. And what better way to do this than be a blessing to others and share what we have with others. When we first started this church a number of years ago, um, this fellow came to Greg and he said to him, have you got a wish list for your church plant? And Greg said, oh, yeah, because we were coming from nowhere and we needed um, funds to get started. And so Greg had a list and he said, show me your list. And um, Greg showed it to him. It was fairly extensive, um, and the guy said, you've got it. And Greg said, what do you mean I've got it? He said, the cheque will be in the mail tomorrow. He wrote a cheque for $15,000 to fund the church plant. He hardly knew us. We didn't really know him very much. He made no accolade about it. Nobody ever knew. Greg never told anybody who it was that gave us the money. He just wrote the cheque and gave. That fellow and his wife are now in such, held in high regard in that church and on the eldership and um, very much honoured. But this was way back, before anyone even really knew this guy. Um, But God knew his heart, and he has blessed him abundantly, and he's just rewarded him with um, with honour in that church. And we too can be like that. See, he didn't make a fuss, he just gave. If you see a need, just give. You don't need to tell the world about it, just give. Um, We want God to receive the glory, not us. Um, We need to just be obedient and do what Jesus tells us to do, to give and just be, don't make a fuss about it, no fanfare. Um, So I want you to think for a moment about you personally. When was the last time you did give to somebody in need or has life become all about you? It's so easy to get so caught up in our own lives that our whole life is about us and we don't even see anybody else. So it's just a little challenge for you today. It should be a natural overflow of who we are. And do you only give, and I could be a bit guilty of this, do you only give to receive a tax deduction? 
Okay, sometimes in, the, in our world you can give to something but you get a tax reduction on your income. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. It's okay to do that but I don't think it should be everything we do. I think there should be just a freedom in giving when we need it. At a ladies' brunch last Saturday, the speaker, Alison, had, is, she's also a life coach and she, when she realised we were fundraising as well, she was giving to us a few sessions of a life coach, which, which is worth quite a lot of money. Well, our girls, I couldn't believe it, they almost knocked me down to get these coaching sessions to pay for them, but it wasn't for them. They wanted to give it to a young mum in our midst who they knew was struggling. And I was so blessed by that, by their attitude. They almost knocked me over. One nearly got me and then another one got me and I said, too late, it's already done. But I was just so blessed by their heart to give to this young mum that really needed Alison's help. Um, and I know this goes on all the time in this church. Meals are going out to people, people helping one another. It's just fantastic. So keep up the good work. So then we come, um, Christmas is coming. So this is a great opportunity, the season of giving, okay? This could be your chance maybe to just go beyond yourself a little bit and give. So keep your eyes open for opportunities in this community to maybe to be giving. Okay, so that was his first directive, when you give. So the next one is when you pray. And um, I've got hopefully a little short little DVD here of Yongi, Pastor Yongi Cho in Korea. Have we got that happening? Cross our fingers. Here we go. Sound. He's got a funny accent, so listen closely. Prayer is the key to build our Christian personality. Prayer is key to build a happy home. And also prayer is the key to the great revival. Every day, like a drawing person, try to gasp air. So I'm trying to gasp through prayer to receive more anointing from the Lord. Because uh, to meet the challenge of every day of my ministry, I need a tremendous amount of anointing, peace of God, wisdom of God, understanding of God, and knowledge of God, might and discerning of God. And to receive that kind of God's peace, joy, might, I should pray. Without prayer, I can't get that kind of anointing from the Lord. So I am desperate every day. I'm a desperate person. If I don't pray, I can't carry out my work because I'm constantly under tremendous pressure and stress that my heart would be stirred up and I would lose the peace. And then I will not have the joy and might and strength to carry out work of the Lord. People are asking me question, what kind of pressure do you have? Okay, for those of you that don't know who he is, Dr. David Yongi Cho is a pastor in Korea. He has a church of, get ready, one million people. And he says, people ask me why I'm stressed. A million people, hey? That's a lot of people. 
and I think he just offloaded a church of 150,000 or something, enormous. But he's the most beautiful, godly man, and I just love his heart for prayer. So we're going to have a look at what Jesus says about prayer. So verse 5 of Matthew 6 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if... If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive their sins. The Lord's Prayer. We all know it. Well, I don't know about you young people. Do you still hear about the Lord's Prayer? Yes? No? Yes? Nodding? Um, Riley? No. Maybe Maybe it's not as common as we think. Us older people, I think, had it at school. We grew up hearing the Lord's Prayer. Um, So I just think there's more to the Lord's Prayer than reciting the Lord's Prayer. So when you pray, you connect with God's heart. And this passage is pretty well much the centerpiece of the the whole um, Sermon on the Mount, I think. Jesus was having a, not having a go, but he was commenting on the way the Pharisees prayed. They prayed out in the open where everyone could see and hear them. This was a way to show the public how holy and pious they all were. And Jesus condemns this way of praying. He says they have their reward. Their reward is being seen by men. He's not condemning public prayer as such, only the practice of praying with the goal of being seen by others. I think that's what he's saying. So again, Jesus is challenging us about our motives when we pray. There's a couple of questions for you. When you're praying by yourself versus praying maybe in a group, do you pray more frequently or fervently when you're alone or when you're in a group? Is my public praying an overflow of my private prayer? Who do I think of or what do I think of when I'm praying in public? Am I looking for just the right words or the right phrase? I think that suggests what's going on in our heart. So Jesus says, here's another way of praying. Go into your room, close the door, make it simple and short. Don't make a fuss about it, it's between you and God. And he's much more concerned, I think, that what's going on in our heart than what's going on in our tongue. So if God knows already what we need, why why do we even need to pray? I think what Yongi Cho said was wonderful. He said he just needed prayer to do what he needs to do. And I think we do too. But I think we can connect with his heart. And prayer changes us. doesn't necessarily change our circumstances. When we're praying into a circumstance, sometimes it never changes. But what happens is we change. He does something incredible in our own heart. So we need to be praying and learning to trust God with our lives and connecting with what he's doing. He'll challenge you and he'll put things on your heart, what he's doing, and then helps us get on board with that as well. 
And I reckon if Jesus didn't give us this bit of a format for prayer, we might just come to God and it's all about us. It's all about that. God bless me. Help me do this. Help me do that. Me, 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 me. I think Jesus knows us well enough to know that maybe we need a little bit of help with this. So let's have a look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer. First of all, our Father in heaven. Straight away, we're praising God. Eyes are up, okay? We're putting him first, humbly coming before him as his children. We're acknowledging his presence, his majesty, and we begin to look up to his greatness. Our eyes might be, there might be all sorts of trouble going on in your life. Things are going bad. But when you get into your prayer closet, don't start with all your things. Start by looking up, up to God, up to his greatness. A great starting point is knowing you are his child and you are secure in that place, okay? Great starting place. And in John 1, 12, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Each one of us has the right to become children of God. Then he goes on to say, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed being a bit of an old-fashioned kind of word, but it means holy. Holy is your name. Okay, so we're looking up to God and we're going, worshipping him and holy is your name. We're revering and honouring God. And if we truly honour and respect him, we will enter into his presence and want his will to be done, which is how it begins to roll out. There's a yielding and surrender that takes place when you're honouring God, okay? You've got to come before him with your life and go, well, here I am, God. You are, you are God and I'm here. You're kind of offering your life up to him as the first thing. So that's praise, okay? We enter in with praise. Then he looks at purpose. The next little bit is your kingdom come. So when that honour and surrender continues, we start to exchange our will for his, okay? To see his kingdom come. Now, I don't know if his kingdom come might be the time when Jesus comes back to the earth. Don't know. In the second coming, we don't know when that will be. He will come back, he says, but we don't know. But I think more than that, I think it refers to the here and now, the kingdom of God right now, where we want to see growth and fullness in the kingdom of God in our everyday lives, okay? And in Luke 17, 20 to 21, I love this scripture. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said this, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, well, there it is, because the kingdom of God kingdom of God is within you. You and I all carry the kingdom of God in us, in our day-to-day connections, carrying the fruit of his spirit of love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kingdom of God in you. We carry it with us, okay? So if we're going to carry the kingdom of God in us, we need to act and think and love like Jesus. And the more we do that, the more the kingdom of God will come to our earth and to our friends and to our lives and our families. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks a lot about the parables, in the parables about the kingdom of God being like three things, like a mustard seed. starts off tiny, but it grows really fast. He talks about it being like buried treasure, which is precious. And he also talks about it being valuable like pearls and abundant like fish caught in a net. So I think we've got to get a handle on the kingdom, what the kingdom means. It's valuable. It's precious. It grows. It starts tiny. But my gosh, it just grows huge. 
And once you get a revelation of that, you carry the kingdom of God around with you, okay? So it's not, I love that scripture, it says it's not here, it's not there, it's not a place, it's in you, okay? So, um, and then you pray God's kingdom come to your life, to your family, to the bay. We've been praying about the world. Let God's kingdom come to the world. Get passionate when you're praying about, not just reciting it, you know, oh, let your kingdom come, God. No, let your kingdom come, let your light shine through me. Okay, so then it goes on, still in purpose, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're yielding to God's authority and sometimes we know what we want for our life, but you know what? God knows better. So we're exchanging our will for his, saying, God, I don't know what's going on, but I want your will to be done in my life. And that's hard. It's really hard to let go and to actually trust God with your life. Okay? You can be praying for your children, your marriage, your ministry, whatever area you're involved with. God's will be done. God's will be done in this hurting world. Okay? Let's get passionate about that. But if we just pray constantly about us, our lives will become very, very small. So when we start praying God's will for the bigger purposes in life, we grow, I think, with that, okay? Um, And God's got a much bigger and grander plan for our lives than we would even hesitate to think about, I'm sure. Can you imagine a moment? Because he says there, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you imagine for a moment if earth resembled heaven, wouldn't it be beautiful? We wouldn't be standing here praying about terror and fear in people's lives because heaven is not going to have any fear. It's going to be a place of love and kindness. Can you imagine if earth was like that? And if we learn to carry the kingdom of God and his will in our lives, in our little patch on earth, well, maybe then it can be a little bit of heaven on earth, Okay. So it's a real challenge, isn't it? And if you're not sure what God's will is, sometimes like, oh, I don't know, God, what your will is. Well, in in Thessalonians, Paul prays a great prayer. And he says God's will is to be prayerful, thankful, and joyful. And Chris has already been talking about joy. If you don't know anything else, just be that. Be thankful, prayerful, joyful. And God will reveal his will to you if you come to him with a heart that's longing to know what he wants But meanwhile, just do those three things. Okay, so we've praised God. We've looked at his his purpose for our lives. Then we go into petition. And this is where, give us today your daily bread. Now, I don't know whether he's talking, I don't think he's talking about bread as in just bread. There's a whole sermon on Jesus being the bread of life and all that. But I think he's talking about our personal needs in this place here. Could have been talking about the provision of the manna when the Israelites were in the desert. God provided manna every single day. That was their daily bread. But I think for us, it's about asking Jesus to meet our needs every day. Not for tomorrow, not for next week, not for next year, just for today. He wants us to live daily dependent on him. Because as humans, we can just get it all together. We've got our whole lives planned out. Sometimes we don't even need God, really. Do we? We've got our lives so together. I think he wants us to, to be dependent daily. Okay, God, today. So put your needs out there. He sustains us. We acknowledge that he is our soul giver. He is our soul giver of everything that we need. And we just exercise our faith in him. 
can be tempting to worry about what's next. Maybe you worry about finances, worry about food, worry about your future, worry about your kids' future. This is when you can just learn to trust in him. And that Sermon on the Mount goes on in the next few, few chapters talking about don't worry about those things, Jesus says. I've got them covered, okay? So learn to trust daily in God, okay? Don't go too far ahead of him just for today. So this is where your chance is to ask God for things. Rather than getting in your prayer closet and going, okay, God, it's all about me. Okay, can you do this? Can you do that? You've done the praise. You've done, looked at God's purpose. Now it's time to ask because he wants to know. He wants to know about the things in your life. He cares about all those things going on in your life. So intercede. Ask for things, for your family, your friends, your marriage, your relationships, your job, all those things. But get it in order. Don't do it first. Come down these other ways and then ask. And he does care. So what needs are you trusting for God right at this moment in your life? And a question for you. When was the last time you really sat down with God and had a lovely prayer time? I hope it wasn't that long ago. But a challenge for you. If you are a prayer that is just on the fly, on your way to work, in and out of the car, God, do this, do that, that's all good. But I think there's a time for us as Christians to sit down with God, do what Jesus says, get on your own and pray one-on-one with him. So that's a challenge to you if you're struggling a little bit. Okay, we keep moving on and we go to pardon. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This section's about interpersonal relationships. It's about looking within. It's about looking at our own lives and maybe just taking stock of where we are, because he goes on to say, P.S., verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? So every time we sin, we go into debt. And now some, some versions of the Lord's Prayer goes, says, forgive me my sins. Some says, forgive my trespasses. Some say, forgive my debts. Every time we sin, we fall into debt for God. And as a result, our fellowship with God breaks. We all fall short. We know that. We all make mistakes. But this is the time to just have a look at your life, have a think about your relationships, how you've been treating people, and maybe confessing something to God if you feel you need to. And just as he, we, he forgives our mistakes, take a look at other people in your world and maybe you need to be looking at being forgiving of them too. When you forgive someone, you are saying, what that person did to me was wrong. He or she has hurt me deeply and deserves to pay for that offence. But today I'm releasing him or her of the obligation they have toward me. I'm not forgiving them because they've asked to be forgiven or they deserve to be forgiven. I'm forgiving because of the tremendous forgiveness that God has already given me. That's how we should live our lives. Because if you don't forgive, you're the one that remains hurting. Often we think forgiveness is a gift to the other person, but it's not. It's a gift to yourself. So if you need to, unload some grief and offload some forgiveness today to somebody. And lastly comes God's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it goes on to say this, so we do not... Sorry. In Hebrews, it says 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have a priest 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And he's talk, they're talking about Jesus. We all get tempted in life. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted lots when he was his short time on the earth. And our enemy will try to trip you up in life because God has a clear plan for our life and he'll do everything he can to try to take you off that plan. He'll try to distract you, disillusion you and discourage you in your life. But we have to know that we are on the winning side. We have victory when we live our life in Christ. So you don't go around looking um, at the devil all the time. You know, he's there roaming around looking for someone to devour, but we have, have absolutely no authority in our lives as Christians. So, but I think we do need to know that we can be tempted and the enemy will try to trip us up. In, I think he'll often try to trip us up and make us go back to our old ways. We've all got weaknesses. And I know for myself, before I came to know God, I was a different person. And every time I feel like, you know, there's something going on, I feel like I'm getting dragged back to who I used to be. And so be careful. Be aware. Don't be frightened. Just be aware. Be aware that there's an enemy out there that would try to tempt us and keep us from the, all your God-given purposes in life. So along with prayer, the word of God has always been our best defense against the enemy's trials and temptations. The word of God, I think I just say this every single time I get up here, the word of God, we need to know the word of God because that's how Jesus fought the devil when they were in the wilderness. He fought it with the word of God. And that's what we need to do. We need to know the scriptures. We need to know that greater is he that is in within me than he that is in the world. So when stuff's going on, you don't have to be frightened, okay? Um, and Ephesians 6 is fantastic. It's the armor of God. It tells us how to fight the battles, okay? So the Lord's Prayer, it's a beautiful prayer. It's a lovely, soft prayer. But that last bit, I don't think it's a really soft, wussy prayer. I think that's the call to rise up and get into some warfare prayer. If things are going on in your world and you're struggling with temptations of any kind or you need breakthrough, get on your knees and start praying. Stand in the spirit. Do what it says. Grab hold of the word of God and pray like you really mean it. Pray that you want breakthrough. Okay, do you think you can do that? You're sitting very quietly, okay? So the Lord's Prayer is lovely. Remember that's lovely and soft. But when you get to the end, rise up. Dig in deep, okay? Now, some versions of the prayer say this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. That wasn't in the original prayer, but they think it's been added later. But it is a beautiful praise. And whether it was there in the beginning or not, it's a really lovely conclusion to the prayer because what it does, it reminds us that God is great and he is in control. So how's your prayer life going? Does it need a little adjusting? Does it need a little bit of tweaking? If it's powering on, fantastic. Keep doing it. I just want to challenge you today. That's all. Do you feel like you're living in freedom and victory? Because if you're not, there's one more thing that Jesus says to us. And he says this. When you fast, verse in, what are we, verse 18. When you fast, 16, 
Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, you seek God's heart. Again, it says not if you fast, but when you fast. Jesus expected his disciples to fast as part of their regular spiritual disciplines. So if you are fasting, don't put on a sad face and, oh, poor me. So someone says, oh, what's the matter? Oh, I'm fasting for God. You know, that's not what Jesus wants. Wash your face, he says, don't eat, and just get on with life and seek God. Wrong motivation if you want somebody to notice that you are fasting. It's not about you, about impressing others, how, how often you fast. How often do you fast? Oh, I fast every, every few weeks. I go on a great big fast. Wow, you're awesome. You're so spiritual. It's not about that. It's about seeking God's heart for breakthrough and strengthening you on the inside. Um, I love what the message version says. It says this, when you go into training inwardly, Training inwardly. Think of fasting as training your spirit, okay? So if you're stuck in life or you need a breakthrough or you need God's direction or you just feel like you're going round and round in circles as a Christian, how about seeking an encounter with God through fasting? And I know you're kind of going like, oh, it's hard work. Because what it does, it puts God first and foremost. First before food, first before breakfast, Thirst before coffee. Oh, now that's hard. That's hard, I reckon. So at the beginning of each year, um, Greg's for the last few years has been having the church do a 21-day fast. Now, don't freak out. You don't have to fast for 21 days. Then you might get a little bit weary. In that 21-day period, we all choose to do what we would like, whether it's one day a week couple of days a week, whatever you want. Or you might do a 21-day fast from something, from chocolate or Facebook or, I don't know, whatever it is that you feel like might have a hold on your life because what fasting does will break that. Um, now, I used to think this about fasting. When they used to talk about fasting at church, I'd, just, I'd be the one to be like, no, can't go for a few hours without food, let alone days. But do you know what? You actually can. You really can. You drink water and you're sensible in how you do it. And at the end of it, instead of feeling really bad, guess what? You feel fantastic. Don't you, Greg? Absolutely. So the challenge is on, church, okay? Fasting. Jensen Franklin. Can we just pop that very short little um, teaching thing up here for Jensen Franklin? In this culture of entertainment and gratification and pleasure, especially the lifestyle of this generation, the 20-somethings, it's almost unheard of to expect for people to sacrifice. That word has been lost in the body of Christ. It's not easy to fast. It's not fun to fast, but it is powerful. Your faith will begin to explode as you fast. Fasting is not for the strong. Fasting is for the weak. Fasting is for the common. Fasting is for the frail. 
Fasting is for the ordinary people who realize that they desperately need God in their life. That's who fasting is for. I want to say that fasting never manipulates God. It's so important that when you go into a fast, you don't go into it, listen now, thinking that you will earn God's blessings, God's favor, God's miracles in your life. You never earn the blessings and favor of God. It is the grace of God, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that releases those blessings. Fasting does not manipulate God. Fasting does not make God do something that is not His will. Fasting gets you ready for God's answer. Fasting prepares your heart to say, not my will, but thine be done. A lot of people are disillusioned when, when they fast and God doesn't do what you demand that He does. Nothing wrong with asking, but you can't demand that God do something and because I'm fasting, you better hurry up and do it. It doesn't work that way. Fasting breaks you down. Fasting gets you to the place that you move into a, 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 a position of total obedience and humility and brokenness before God that what you understand, my heavenly Father wants the best for me. And now I finally trust you. I finally relinquish my life to you. And whatever happens, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you. When we begin to biblically fast, we increase our receptivity to the Lord's voice and to his word. In okay. That, that was great teaching on fasting. I could have listened to the whole thing of that. But I hope you hear his heart behind that. It's not to manipulate God. It's to just get closer to God and get um, direction in God. And Greg's just returned from a three-day fast. Um, and he came back so fired up, didn't he, Chris? He came back with such clarity about where he, feel God, he feels God is taking us as a church over the next little while. And it's really exciting. And that doesn't happen unless you take yourself out of your own workplace or mindset, whatever it is, and seek God with all your heart. And so can I really encourage you to begin to set up something in your life, have a go at fasting, join the 21-day fast next year. But once a, once a year is not even enough. It's great to start the year with a fast, but I think it's a, this is something we should be having in our lives all the time. And I think it fits so well with that whole Lord's Prayer and the whole way that Jesus has structured that. When we give, when we pray, when we fast, it's all about putting ourselves in a position that God can work in our hearts. That's what it's all about. So when you give and reflect God's heart this week, just remember, do it with the right motive to please him and not to impress others, but to bless him. When you pray and connect with God's heart, do it to grow closer to him, not to appear holy or oppress anybody else. And when you fast, when you get the opportunity and seek God's heart, do it to become stronger and more in tune to his will and direction for your life. Let's just pray. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.